want you to imagine something. I want you to do a little mental experiment with me right now. What's your darkest secret? Everyone has one. Don't feel bad about having one. I mean, you probably do feel bad about it. That's why it's a dark secret. Certainly don't email me and tell me what it is. I don't want to know. I don't need you to know. And I, and I won't tell you mine either. I mean, gosh, I have so many. But that's another story entirely. I want you to legitimately think about your darkest secret. The worst thing about you. Worst thing you've ever done. I know you have something in your head. It's fine. Just picture that. Again, don't worry. You're not going to have to tell anybody here. This is a mental exercise. Now, I want you to imagine what you would do to keep the world from finding out your darkest secret. What would you do? What wouldn't you do? Probably you'd do a lot, right? You'd do a lot. Make sure mom doesn't find out. Make sure maybe the cops don't find out, your kids don't find out, your boss doesn't find out, wife, husband, whatever the case may be. You'd probably do a lot. If you've walked through this experiment with me just now, then you'll have a better understanding of why communists are so good at controlling people and why specifically the East German Stasi were masters at it. Absolute masters at it. Now, let's do a little lead up because how we got to an East Germany and West Germany is what you'd call fairly important. As you know, because you listen to my show, the Russians had a revolution. 1917. This was during World War II. And before World War II, Russia was having major, major, major civil unrest problems. It was just, it was a royal family that should have never been. It was Tsar Nicholas II. He happened to be the, the, the big cheese in charge of Russia, but he was one in hundreds of years the family had been in charge. And the truth is, they were a country that was huge. And you know Russia's huge. Huge, but backwards. And they simply wouldn't modernize. And any attempts at modernization were rebuffed. Anytime somebody would get into power who would actually attempt to, to modernize a little would get bounced out of power, or even if he didn't, the next guy would go in, and he'd take them right back to the way they were. Well, there's a funny thing about the world. Nations. You're always keeping up with the Joneses for a reason. You don't want to fall behind the technology war. You don't want to fall behind in the industrial war. For a lot of different reasons. One, you want to be as wealthy as seemingly possible. But two, your people, your people are going to start looking around and they're going to start seeing the facilities, the stuff all the neighbors have. And they're going to start asking serious questions about why they don't have that. If you live in a cardboard box on a piece of grass 
and drive a bicycle to and from work every day, and your family lives in that cardboard box with you, and occasionally you tow them along in a red wagon behind the bicycle, and your next-door neighbor, he lives in a mansion with six cars, at some point they're going to look at you and say, Dad, what are we doing here? The people start to get upset, not just because of their poor standard of living, because they're looking around and not liking how everyone else lives compared to them. That was a big part of the unrest in Russia. Then, I mean, talk about the world's worst timing. Then World War I breaks out. And the funny part about that is Russia was knee-deep involved in starting that war. If Russia had stayed out of it, there probably wouldn't have been a big one. But anyway, Russia gets involved in World War I, helps start it. And it's, it's impossible for you and I to put ourselves in their shoes back then for just how truly, truly, shockingly terrible World War I was. A fun experiment? Go look at the countries. I've done this before. I I know. I have a sickness. Go look at the countries who fought in World War I. The main players. Germany, France, Britain, Russia, Turkey, or the Ottoman Empire, depending on what you want to call it, us. Go look at the countries who fought in World War I and look up that individual country and do an internet search for this. Germany's, or, you know, let's start with France. That'll be, France is probably the best one to do, France or Russia. France's war casualties by war. So they'll list how many casualties in each war. It's, that, that'll help you understand the shock World War One brought to Europe. The, the people had never seen loss of life that, like that before. If you were a country with a stable government, an advanced stable society, countries like Britain, who ran the world back at that point in time, they had unrest problems. You, you start stacking up your young men like Cordwood when people had never even heard of casualties like that before. People are going to start asking serious questions. Now, let's go to Russia. They, they were doing more than asking serious questions. There's riots, violent ones. Governments sending out their agents to stop the riots, and the agents are with the people. Half the time, the agents would join with the people in riot. Well, it's not a story about the Russian Revolution, so I'll move past this. But long story short, the dirty communist scum took over in Russia, executed the czar and his family, and seized power. They eventually had to fight a civil war a couple years after this. The people didn't want communism. And remember this while I'm on this subject. Communists have pretty much never taken power with the numbers. They've pretty much never taken power by having the most people on their side. Communists have taken power by having their people in the right places and by being willing to do things the other side isn't willing to do. Maybe keep that in mind for your own country, wherever that may be. Back to our story. Communists take power in Russia. Communism is something that understandably scares most of the world. Now, as much as this pains me to say it, in defense of the communists, communism was, when the Soviets began, communism was 
just a theory. It was, it was something Marx came up with in a book. It, I mean, even parts of it sounded nice. And we know now it's a disgusting, evil, demonic religion that murders people by the million. But again, in the defense of the people who defended it, they didn't know yet. They didn't know just how putrid it was. And the world's powers, countries like America and Britain and France, were horrified at the thought of it because it was such a revolutionary religion. Tossing off the old guard? Uh, I don't like that. I am the old guard. This sounds terrible. And another thing about it terrified them. Communists believe it's for everybody. The communists never wanted to just, well, let's just do this in Russia. It's not how they think. Not then, not now. Communism has to be for everyone all the time. Now, let's fast forward so we can get to our Stasi. World War II breaks out. We are still very, very, very wary of the communists. We understand Stalin, who's running the Soviet Union by this point in time, is not exactly a man to be trifled with, not a man to be trusted. Right away, let's not forget, he strikes a deal with Hitler right off the bat so they can spit-roast Poland and just absolutely oppress the poor people in that country. So uh, we know Stalin's not great, but... In our minds then, can't necessarily say it's wrong, can't really say it's right. In our minds then, Nazism was a greater threat at that moment than communism. We were going to kind of have to kick that communism can down the road a little bit and deal with this scumbag Hitler and the Japanese first. So we did. We win World War II. That's breaking news for you in case you didn't know. We did win World War II. And at the end of World War II, something happened. And this is not a period of time people know a lot about. Because history, much as I love it, I'm as guilty of this as anyone else, history generally gets boiled down to the high points. Most of your life gets boiled down to the high points. If I were to ask you to give me a biography of yourself, hey, you got, you got two minutes, Bill. Tell me who you are. You're going to hit the high points. History does that in our minds because you and I only have so much brain power to go around. Right now, granted, I have a lot of brain power, but that's another story entirely. What, Chris? Anyway. We hit the high points on history when World War II finally ends. We defeat Germany, and then we finish up, drop a couple atom bombs on Japan, and and defeat Japan There's that, even from a historical perspective, there's that big (sighs) sigh of relief. Thank goodness that's over. Now let's jump to the next big thing. Half the time, people will skip past the Korean War. But what took place in the aftermath of World War II set a course that the world is still on, honestly, today. It was so huge, and in defense of people who are widely criticized today, there was no precedent for what do you do when you finish a big world war, you've crushed at least two nations, you don't want to continue to crush them because you did that after World War I and that was a mistake, but what do you do? And remember, 
People forget this. Every single country who took part in World War II had massive, massive financial problems after the war. War is expensive. So if you're America, let's just make that about America for for the time being because I'm an American and I'm horribly biased. If you're America, it's one thing to look at the bombed out rubble that was Germany and say, you know what? We're not going to make this mistake again. Let's just rebuild their country for them. Huh? Let's just drop them a bunch of pallets of cash. Let's go build up their buildings and put in some kind of representative republic that, that we like. Maybe do some trading with them and call it a day. We don't have that kind of money. And, much as this pains me to say once again, we didn't defeat Germany alone. What's that number? I've cited it before. Now I forget it because I'm getting old. I think it's seven out of eight or maybe eight out of nine Nazis killed during World War II. They were killed by the Soviets. Yes, America and Britain sent an inhuman amount of supplies to Russia to help them in their fight against the Nazis. I'm aware we were involved. I'm aware we helped. But remember, kind of a dual win, right? So what do you do with that? We're post-World War II. We have to rebuild the world. We don't have the money to do it all by ourselves. And we, quite frankly, don't really have a leg to stand on to tell the Soviets, okay, thanks, we'll take Berlin now. You run along back home. And there's one other part of this as well. We didn't have the military to do that. And don't do this thing. Ah, Jesse, America's military was incredible after World War II. You're right, it was. So was the Soviet military. It's very common in in certain circles, certainly political circles here in America today, to say things like, you know, I hate communists so much, we should have kept on churning and, and taken Moscow. Here's an uncomfortable fact for you. We couldn't have taken Moscow. I'm not saying the Soviets could have taken us. I'm not saying we could have taken them. Remember that. So we had to give them control of things, which is going to bring us to our story today. We had to split up the world. Okay, well, we'll help out this area. And and Britain, you can help us help this area out. And I mean, I guess, I guess Stalin... I guess you did kind of earn it. You can you can help this area out. And remember, helping out involves more than just rebuilding buildings and sewer systems. You have to put in some form of government. I mean, you did just win a total war, a war of annihilation. You aren't going to allow the Nazis to stay in power. Uh, sorry, Germany, that, that's not going to work. Oh, Imperial Japan? Mm, yeah, that's, yeah, no, 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 no more of that. That didn't work out last time. Well, that works out great if you're one of the countries who falls under America's sphere of influence. You're going to get, not America, obviously, but you're going to get some form of representative government, some kind of freedoms, freedoms of the press and whatnot. But if you're a communist who already wants to dominate the world anyway, you already want your ideology to dominate the world anyway, well, you're going to get something else entirely. In Germany, as you can imagine, 
was item numero uno for the Soviet Union and America. Not just because that's really where the war began, but because Germany is oftentimes thought of the economic power in Europe. If you're going to have a piece of ground in Europe, you really want Germany. You really want Germany and France, but you really want Germany. So the Soviets aren't going to just let us have Germany. We weren't just going to let them have Germany, so we split it. You take half, we'll take half. And Berlin, as everyone knows, was in East Germany. It was in the Soviet half, but we also made them split that too. Okay, I mean, you you can have Berlin, but not all of it. We're going to make you split that too. Now, let's focus on East Germany. East Germany, at first, they're obviously under the Soviet sphere of influence. They're getting Soviet advice. They're, the Soviets are running the show there. And the Soviets are running the show there because the Soviets are stroking the checks. Remember, he who strokes the checks generally runs the show. That's just the way it works. The Soviets are stroking the checks, and they're starting to build a government that they like. Now... How bad was it at first when the East German government was starting to get on its feet? Because the Soviets, yes, they wanted influence in East Germany. They wanted to trade with East Germany. They wanted to make sure East Germany always answers the phone when the Soviets call. But the Soviets had plenty of their own problems at this time, and they actually didn't want direct control of it. They just didn't want to have to hassle with it. They wanted loyal communists within East Germany to take over. So they went scouting. They found loyal communists who they thought had the talent to take over and run the country. And they did. They take over. They run the country. And this is a point in time where the world is watching. The world is watching for this reason. One, they're distrustful of communism. Two, well, they want to see maybe we can get some free elections for these people in East Germany. Let's see if these people can at least have a good standard of living. And so at first, for the first couple years, East Germany was actually on its best behavior. Now, I say best. uh, Communists are always going to communist. But they weren't pulling people's fingernails out just yet. They kept promising people, look, we're going to have free and fair elections. Don't you worry. Hey, world, did you hear me? We're, we're doing well over here in East Germany. We're going to have these free elections and everyone's going to be happy because they know the world is watching, right? They're trying to be good little boys and girls because they're still trying to strike a deal with all of the world, making sure trade remains, making sure everything's good to go. But eventually the deals fall through and East Germany looks around and says to itself, well, we don't need the, or if we're not going to get the approval of the rest of the world, then we don't need to seek the approval of the rest of the world. We know the Soviets have our back. I mean, screw all this free election talk. Let's just take control of this bad boy. And they did. The communists seized all the power there. And just like happens every single time, dirty communists take control. It is an absolute, unmitigated disaster. A disaster in every possible way. What does disaster look like? Because I want you to understand, who knows? 
you may end up in a communist country one day. What does disaster look like? Well, what are you going to do if you need bread tonight? Want to make some uh, French toast in the morning? Oh, check the cupboards. Dang, we are out of bread. Is that a big deal? You're probably laughing right now as you listen to the podcast. Is it a big deal? Uh, No. Shoot anymore. You probably pull out your phone, put in a grocery order. Somebody will deliver it to the daggone door. And if not, the worst case scenario, if you go to the cupboard right now and need bread, the worst case scenario is you'll have to go get in your car, drive 15 minutes to the store, and buy a loaf of bread. You and I don't understand what it's like to walk into a grocery store and see the shelves empty. Empty. There's nothing on them. Remember this, and I'm not going to get too sidetracked here. There are multiple stories out there, multiple stories of defectors coming from horrible communist countries like the Soviet Union back in the day. And actually, I know one of these stories personally, buddy of mine, uh, not going to go into the details, one of his relatives, old, old lady, female, defected, got here. He was with her when she had just got here. And they went to the grocery store, get some food to celebrate that night. And they weren't thinking about it. It's not like they were taking her to the grocery store to, to show her the grocery store. They were just running in to grab some supplies. They all walk into the grocery store together. And my buddy and, and, and his family, they keep walking and they look beside each other and, and she's not right beside him anymore. And they're like, wait, what? What happened? And they turn around and look. She's standing by the door of the grocery store sobbing. Sobbing. And they, they can't figure out what's wrong. Oh my gosh, did, what happened? And they go back and put their arms around her and ask, what happened? She was overwhelmed by full shelves in the grocery store where you can walk in and just buy whatever you want. That's how the other half lives. So that's what happened right away in East Germany. And it's not the easiest thing in the world to try to conjure up sympathy for Germany back post-World War II, right? I mean... Historically, for virtually everyone living today, eh, not exactly not exactly people you're going to feel great about. But let's keep something in mind as, as I try to put you in their shoes here. Let's keep something in mind. Just because Hitler and all the Nazis were a bunch of Jew-hating murderous scumbags, that doesn't mean every German citizen was. Do you agree with everything your government does? Should you personally be held accountable for everything your government does? I don't feel responsible for everything my government does. There were a lot of Germans, many, 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 many Germans who got caught up in, I mean, history, life, got stuck living through a horrendous world war. Your cities bombed the rubble, your history destroyed, your currency destroyed, your country destroyed. You managed to live through World War II by the grace of God and promptly find yourself 
under the control of communists with empty shelves in the grocery store? Talk about a rough stretch. What's your toughest 10 years? It's tough, right? And it's not just empty shelves. The costs are rising. As soon as the communists take over, it is a disaster for the people. And a complete disaster for the people. Now, as many of you who listen to my radio show every day will know, what does wealth and power get you? What does it really get you? It gets you one word, access. If you have money and power, you simply have access. You have access to better cars, better health care. You have access to private planes, private yachts, beautiful women. You have access to all the food you can eat. You have access to other people in power who can help you gain more power or do certain things. Where am I going with this? Well, let's say you're an extremely wealthy person in East Germany. You wake up one day. The communists have taken over your nation, absolutely gutted it, and... You want out. Well, if you're an extremely wealthy person, you can get out. And the wealthy start fleeing. The upper middle class start fleeing. And I know what you're thinking right now. Probably the same thing I'm thinking. Well, good. Good for them. I'd get out too. And yeah, good for them. But you might be missing one thing. When the wealthy flee, they're making a country that was already poor and in really bad shape even poorer and in worse shape because they're taking all their wealth out of that economy and they're heading for the hills. Over a 100,000 people a year were fleeing East Germany at this time. It was that bad. So the Stasi begin in 1950. Now the Stasi were relatively benign At first, they were modeled after the NKVD or Cheka or KGB. Those are all just different words for the different times the Soviet Union changed the name of the state of the state police, the ones who run internal and external security for the country. I'm going to get to the Stasi's mission in a bit, but first I want you to understand they were started in 1950, some say 1949, depends on which book you read, but right about that time. And they were relatively benign at first, nothing too extreme. And then 1953 happened. And what happened in 1953? Well, like I just said, if you're a German citizen, let's say you're 30, 40 years old in 1953. Have you had a rough life? Has, has life been all lemonade and cake for you? It's been a bit rough, right? They're not putting up with this new communist garbage at all. They have a revolt. Starts as just a workers' revolt, and it grows into something big. The East German government that was in place is looking at this result, and they're saying to themselves two things. One... I'm not sure if we have the power to put down this revolt. It's big. Not sure if we have the forces we need to put it down. And they're saying something else to themselves, too. I'm not sure if we want to put it down. Oh, they wanted it to stop. Don't get me wrong. But 
They didn't want to look like the bad guys. They didn't want to look like the jerks. They were still trying to get control of the country, get the people behind them, sell this whole communism thing. Hey, everyone, calm down. It'll work out in the end. So East Germany, they look to their big brothers, the Soviets, and say, hey, uh, Vlad, you want to come bring some tanks in here and put this revolt down? The Soviets, international incident at the time, storm in with the tanks and put the revolt down. Now, if you're the East German high command, you're the communists who run East Germany. Yeah, you didn't have to look like the bad guy. The Soviets came in, but you also kind of look like a big wuss. You're also the one who didn't have control of your own country. And when you lost complete control of your own country, you had to go begging the Soviets for help. And that was embarrassing. And the Soviets are kind of giving you the side eye. Hey, can you guys handle this? Because if I have to come back again, I'm going to find some people who can handle this. That kind of thing. Well, Germans are proud people. Even the communists. They decide, 1953... One of these revolts isn't going to happen again. We have to start digging in. And that's when the Stasi really became the Stasi. Now, surveillance begins. And remember something about communists, then and now. Communists never, ever, 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 ever look in the mirror and say to themselves, oof, I messed that up. I should not have done that. That was a bad policy. We should change some things. Communists always believe there's an external force at work keeping them back from their communist utopia. When I say surveillance ramped up, I mean they sold it to the people and they sold it to each other as we are looking for these dirty Western spies who are in here sowing discontent, trying to tell the people they're unhappy, trying to mess up our economy. We have to get these spies and these influencers out of our society. So when I say surveillance ramps up, I want you to understand what that means. There were listening stations all across East Germany, listening stations right on their border with West Germany. They weren't just surveilling their own people. They were, sur they were surveilling West Germans. Radio signals, all intercepted. You're talking on a car phone, intercepted. Your phone, period, wiretapped. Your letters, well, that's the funny thing about it. Your letters... The East Germans were simply magnificent at violating the civil rights of their own citizens. They came up with machines and ways to open every single letter, read the letter, and then reseal the letter without you ever knowing about it. How good were the Stasi at this? How good were the Stasi at wiretaps and surveillance and radio signals and opening letters? Well, let's pause for a brief moment. You know Castro? Perhaps you've heard of him, Fidel Castro, communist dictator of Cuba. He was trying to get his feet underneath him, deal with this American problem, really clinch down his communist control of his own country. 
And Castro goes to the Soviets and says, hey, uh, now Castro was his own man. I don't want to act like he was a Soviet puppet. At least before the Cuban Missile Crisis, he was his own man. But he did say to the Soviets, hey, I mean, I could use some help getting set up with my communist government. I need my own scumbags here. You know what the Soviets did? The Soviets went to the Stasi and said, hey, you guys are actually really, really, really good at this. You mind sending some people down to Cuba and helping Fidel out? That's how good the Stasi were. Imagine being so good at violating your own citizens' civil rights that you are 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 you're you're begged by the Soviets to go help someone else out. And they took spying so seriously. Historically, communists are so good at spying. You see, they weren't only worried about East Germany, they were very, very worried about West Germany and very conscious of the fact that West Germany, West Germany's, they're doing pretty well. They're doing pretty well. They don't have empty shelves. Their people are a lot happier. They have better stuff. I don't like that. So they started putting their people, their spies, through personality training. I mean, straight out of the movie, straight out of a spy novel, the East Germans were so intent on being the best spies humanly possible, they would take somebody and simply teach someone charm. They would teach somebody how to charm someone, and then they would send these men and women into West Germany, obviously speaking German, not hard to pass off an East German as a West German, and these men would seduce women. The women would seduce men. They would get these people into jobs. They'd get them into secretarial positions. They'd get them into teaching positions, get them into government positions. And their, their specialty as spies was charm because they'd been trained. Now, remember, when I said they were convinced there were Western spies everywhere, We like to think, when we think about the Cold War, that we were doing just as well with the spying as the Soviets were. We weren't. The truth is, they're digging through the Stasi archives to this day. As a brief side note, I don't want to give away the end, but when the Stasi finally collapsed, they had been surveilling their people for so long, they just had treasure troves of info on all their citizens. They were panicked about the people finding out just how much the Sazi knew. So they tried to shred all the documents. They burned a bunch of documents. They put a bunch of documents in bathtubs trying to destroy the records. To this day, there are about 16,000 trash bags of shredded documents. They are still putting together. They've put together about 500 of them. So I'll be dead and gone. Your kids will be dead and gone, and they'll still be trying to figure out everything the Stasi knew. But from what they've put together so far, what they've found is there really weren't many Western spies in East Germany. Obviously, there were some, but there weren't many Western spies. Now, here's the thing about government agencies, human beings, all of us, I guess, but definitely state police. You need to be doing something because you have to justify your existence to your boss at all times. I've used this example on my radio show before. Why do you think there's a brand new version of the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup 
at all times, and it always sucks compared to the original one. They know it sucks, but you don't get to be the guy in charge of products at Reese's and walk into the Reese's board meeting and say, you know, I'll tell you, boss, I didn't come up with anything. But what, what? What do you mean you didn't come up with anything? Yeah, what we have is good enough. Why would I come up with anything? Anyway, I'm going to go play some golf and stuff, maybe some video games. You guys have a good one. How long would you be employed there? No, you have to come in with a hot new idea. Governments work the same way. You have to be doing something. So if you're the East German Stasi and you're digging in trying to find these Western spies and that's what you've been tasked with, right? Find these spies, get these spies out of the country, and you're digging in trying to find these spies, but you can't find the spies? You better invent some spies. So they started inventing some spies. They started deciding, well, I mean, no, we didn't find any actual spies, but Bob over there? We were phone tapping Bob's phone. You know what he just told his friend? He just told his friend he's mad that the grocery store doesn't have any food. I bet you he is a Western spy trying to influence the people here against our government. And yes, it went like that. If you told a friend a complaint about the government, a complaint about just any kind of unhappiness with the nation, and there was so much unhappiness as you can imagine— you could easily find yourself in a dark cell somewhere. And many, many, many did. And it actually gets worse than this. If you told your wife a complaint, your husband a complaint, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father a complaint, you could still find yourself in a dark cell somewhere. And no, I don't just mean complaining to your wife over a phone call they tapped or over a letter they mysteriously opened and then closed again. I mean, everybody wanted to inform on everyone else to the Stasi. Husbands reporting their own wives, wives reporting their husbands, children reporting their parents was the most common thing in the world. Now, the staggering part of this is once they began ramping up and once they began the surveillance state, radio and letters and everything else, they got hooked on that drug. They wanted to know everything all the time. I'm going to give you a number and then I'll put it into some kind of context to make it real for you right now. At its height, do you know how many people were part of the Stasi in East Germany? 90,000. 90,000 employees. That's how many people were part of the Stasi in East Germany. Now, I know what you're saying. I, I, okay, I don't really understand what that means. I, I, help me understand something. Let me help you understand. There were 16 million people in East Germany. I, look, the numbers were, were, were fluctuating back and forth rapidly. So there, there were... Uh, wildly different amounts of people, but let's say, you know what, let's call it 10 million, something like that. 90,000 people for 10 to 15 to 16 million. 
Do you have any idea? You're in a country, if, if you're an American, I know I have many people who aren't Americans, but if you're an American, you have about 330 million people in your country. Do you know how many FBI agents you have in your country? 35,000. 90,000 Stasi agents for a country of 15 million versus 35,000. 35,000 FBI agents. Wrap your mind around that. It is by a mile the largest ratio of surveillance state in the history of mankind, dwarfing things like even the KGB. The worst communist countries you can imagine didn't come close to the numbers of the Stasi. Oh, wait, it gets worse. I told you there were 90,000 employees. That's 90,000 people drawing a paycheck with the little Stasi signal on it. You know how many informants there were? Well, you don't know because I don't know because no one knows because they're still trying to tear apart the documents. But right now we have estimates four to 500,000 people were informants to the Stasi. Who was informing on you if you're unhappy? Well, everybody. That's how you had to think. Absolutely everybody. Now, what did they do? What was their actual role? Everything. Absolutely everything. When I say everything, I mean that. They were in charge of every part of the country, finding Western spies. They were in charge of going abroad. They were in charge of overseeing every part of the country. Oh, you're a a local baker. Hey, where'd you get those cupcakes? That looks like foreign flour. It was that serious. They ran every single part of the country, were involved in every single part of the country, and they would do such extreme things like Maybe they lock you up. Maybe they don't. But if they did lock you up, they would save your dirty underwear. Why? Because they would have dogs smell it. You see, they would save your dirty underwear. And then if they thought you got out of line or found a pamphlet, maybe an anti-government pamphlet somewhere, they would let the dog smell the pamphlet. And then they would take the dog to the dirty underwear samples to see which one was a match for the dog. You must be the one who wrote the pamphlet. Guess who's getting shot in the head? Sounds pretty dark, right? And like all communist countries... The black markets blew up, absolutely exploded, because you can't find anything. There's nothing on the shelves. And human beings will find a way to acquire the things they want. So the Stasi began digging into that. Black market televisions, black market everything. And there's tons, especially in the beginning, there's tons of violence and murder. But... The Stasi began to be aware of how they were looking because now, remember, we're in the age of the television. We're in the age of the telephone. We're in the age of the photograph and the radio. It's hard to be that tyrannical without word getting out. They start being more and more careful. They start making sure they're arresting people at night. They start doing things like 
disappearing people and not telling people what happened to them. And even then, at some point, after so many years of this, they realize they're going to have to lighten up. So what do they do? They begin a process called disintegration. Yeah, they, they don't like you. They don't like that you're speaking out against the government. They might still arrest you, torture you, kill you, but they realize we've got to be careful with that sort of thing anymore. What if we don't have to arrest him, bust his teeth out, shoot him in the back of the head? What if we can just ruin his life? They mastered ruining people's lives. They would do insane things like stuff adult magazines into people's mailboxes. Your wife goes out to get the mail. Oh, my gosh. They would deflate your bike tires. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, gosh, that's so stupid. No, no. Every day. Every single night you would go to sleep and every morning you would wake up and have to reinflate your bike tires or buy new ones. They would harass people time and time and time and time again. And when they did arrest you, they'd throw you in the back of bakery vans and blindfold you and drive you around for hours before they took you to a dungeon so you don't have any idea you're still in the same city where you got told where you got arrested. And when they would arrest you, They wouldn't tell you why. Confusion is a powerful, powerful method of control. Why am I here? What what did I do? I didn't do anything. Let me out. And they would keep you in solitary confinement for a long time. And then when you're desperate for human connection, you're desperate to hear anything from anybody, they would give you a cellmate. Oh, what a godsend, right? A cellmate. Thank goodness. Someone to talk to. Except the cellmate had also been recruited by the Stasi. Hey, mister, would you like out of here? We'll let you out of here. Shoot, we'll get you a steak dinner, maybe a candy bar. Maybe slide you a little cash, buy the old lady some nice shoes when you get out of here. All you have to do is go to this person's cell and get me some dirt on this person. They would make your life miserable, so eventually it would force you to confess. Commies were all about getting you to confess your sins so they would appear justified to the world. The Stasi ran everything. The prison guards reported on other prison guards. That's the thing about this. The Stasi, they spied on the Stasi. You couldn't trust anyone. And think how dangerous it is that you have the ability, anyone, You have the ability to destroy someone you don't like by simply whispering the words to someone. Could you be trusted with that kind of power? I don't know that I could. What do I mean by that? What if your neighbor, what if he has a loud dog? He won't put that stinking dog in the house at night, midnight, every night. Dog is barking, waking you up. And you've asked him repeatedly, put the dog inside, quiet the dog down. I can't sleep. My babies are waking up. And he won't, he won't put that dog in the house. What if you had the power to go knock on Stasi headquarters and say, hey, my neighbor, he said East Germany sucks. And he said he's unhappy here. I think 
I think he might be starting a revolution. All of a sudden, no more neighbor. That's how dangerous and rotted out and disgusting these communist societies are. How bad was it? Well, there was a huge protest. A a bunch of German students in West Germany were protesting. Now, it's standard college kid garbage. And eventually, at this protest, one of the students gets shot in the head. This sparks off violent unrest throughout Western Germany. We didn't find out till years later the one who sparked all those violent protests was an East German spy who did it on purpose. Now, as I wrap this up about the Stasi, I want you to remember something. Always, always remember something when we talk about communists. And we're going to talk about lots of communists here on the History with Jesse Kelly. Every single person in the Stasi, every single member of the Communist Party in East Germany, they all thought they were the good guys. That's all. <laughs> 